0: Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. Dave opened up the theme of life after death, and he dealt with the side of eternal reward in heaven. Job in the long ago, Job may very well be the first book time-wise in all of Scripture. It may very well be that the material from the book of Job uh, could even predate the flood as far as the writing of it. Now, Moses, of course, writing Genesis, wrote about the material in the beginning. But Job may very well be a man who lived prior to the flood. And here was the question he asked, chapter 14, verse 14. If a man dies, will he live again? That has been a thought. That has been a question. It has been discussed and considered and thought about through all of the millennia. There is something about the idea of life afterwards. People just can't get away from it. They they really can't imagine that there wouldn't be, and yet they also can't imagine that there is. There's just this nagging something that relates to what happens when we die. Surely, this is not all there is. That is a continual theme amongst many people. Now, as Dave handled the side of eternal life, In heaven, I want to ask the other side, the other question. What is eternal punishment? What does that mean? Now, this idea has been discussed also for centuries about what is going on in Scripture when the Bible talks about. Eternal punishment. First of all, as it relates to life after death, I can say unhesitatingly that the answer is yes, according to the scriptures. No doubt about it. When you look at Matthew chapter 25, that whole scene, which we understand to be a judgment day scene, and all the nations are there, the sheep and the goats. Verse 46, uh, these shall go away into everlasting life, but the righteous or the unrighteous into everlasting punishment. There is that final word, everlasting, both sides. So that scene of Matthew 25 says, yes, there is life after Death. There's no doubt about it. 1 Corinthians 15, the great resurrection chapter, says, Yes, there is life after death because it has the entire chapter talks about we're going to be raised. And if Jesus wasn't raised, then we're not going to be raised. But since he was, then we are. And he talks about what that entails and what it involves. Corruption inheriting incorruption, mortality inheriting immortality. So, unhesitatingly, the Bible says, yes, there is life after this one. But, number two, hesitatingly, the answer is many yes but yes there is life after death but what they mean is this there is life after death for the faithful because they will be raised but the unfaithful will not be raised first corinthians 15 Verses 20 through 23, Paul deals with that when he talks about Christ is the first fruits of those who slept. He is the first one, but notice how it says it in verse number 23. Each one in his own order, that is, will be raised. Those who are Christ at his coming Now, there's nothing mentioned in those verses right there about those who are not Christ's. Those who are Christ's will be raised. That's how some people read this, and they say, therefore, there is no life after death for the wicked. Some say, there is life after death for the faithful. Because only they will receive the gift of immortality. All will be raised, including the unrighteous, the wicked. But the righteous, when that judgment day scene ends, the righteous are going to be given immortality at that time. 1 Corinthians 15. 50 through 58. That's what Paul says. But he uses the pronoun we. We will be raised. Our mortality will put on immortality. Our corruption will put on incorruption. We will be raised. And there are people who say, see, everybody's going to be raised, but only the faithful Will be given immortality. Hesitatingly, some say, yes, there's life after death, but the righteous and the wicked will both be raised, they will all be judged, the righteous will live eternally with God and the unrighteous will be annihilated. I want to read you a statement, <clears throat> by the way, from my brother in Christ who wrote a book entitled, The Fire That Consumes. This book was so popular that they actually made a movie out of his life. Uh, Edward Fudge. Here's what he said. And this is the basically the thesis of his book. <clears throat> we here suggest that this eternal destruction will be the extinction of those so sentenced. This retribution will be preceded by penal suffering exactly suited to each degree of guilt by a holy and just God. But that penal suffering within itself is not the ultimate retribution or punishment. There will be an act of destroying, resulting in a destruction that will never end. Or be reversed. The act of destroying includes pains, but they will end. The result of destruction will never be reversed and will never have an end. In other words, <clears throat> the punishment for the wicked amounts to how bad were you? How wicked were you? If you were this wicked, you're going to be punished this much. And when that punishment is finished, you'll cease to exist. If you were this wicked... You'll be punished this much. Then you will cease to exist. And they use the same passage that we would from Matthew 25, verse 46: everlasting destruction. Because once you're annihilated, you're finished. You can't come back, you have no hope of returning from that punishment. That's why it is everlasting, because it can't be reversed or changed. It's not that there will be a continual sensing of pain. <clears throat> Number four, some say, without hesitation, No, actually hesitate again and say, yes, but, Everybody's going to be raised. And everybody is going to receive what they deserve. The righteous will be with God for eternity. The wicked will be punished. If you were this wicked, you get this much punishment. If you were this wicked, you get this much punishment. But the punishment is designed to purify from your soul that which separates you from God. Once it's been burned out of you, then you get to go to be with God, which means everybody goes to eternity with God. The punishment... Merely designed to make you feel the repercussion of your wicked life. But while you're feeling it, it is burning out of you the impurities. And on the other side, you come out pure and being able to be with God. Because of 2 Peter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. God is good and gracious and merciful. He must exact punishment. But because of that nature that he has, he will allow those people eventually to be with him. But finally, there are those who say, yes, But there will be this reward and this punishment. And it will be eternal. And as far as the word is, it's going to last from now on. And it's not about the fact that you can't come back from it. But it's about the idea that you will continually sense it. Because the righteous will continually, eternally sense the presence of God. And in the same way, the unrighteous will sense continually the separation from God. So... The idea of life after death takes on different forms depending upon how you read scripture. So, without hesitation, it seems to me that the answer is to define what it means to have eternal destruction. Now, I'm going to tell you right now that... This millennial, multiple millennials, apparently of discussion on the topic will not end in this presentation. That's not the point. The point is to understand that there are many people teaching many different things. I simply want to ask a single question for you to consider. Here's another point from this book. The basic controversy to be resolved is whether scripture intends by its language to describe unending sensible suffering as traditionalists maintain. That would probably be us or suffering which finally ends in total and inescapable extinction from which there will be no hope of return forever. And then he writes this way, which is everlasting, the punishing or the punishment? There it is. And I think he is very well described the controversy. <clears throat> is there a, a punishment? We think about punishing people. There comes to an end to it, doesn't it? You have a, a certain amount of time as a criminal that you spend as punishment for your crime. It has an end. And even if you're given a death sentence, it has an end. You die. That's the end of your punishment. And so the one thought is that God will have punishment. But then it ends. But then there's the idea of punishing. Is this something that continues? That is a continual sensing of the punishment. Nobody denies that it is eternal or everlasting. I think it turns on the concept of sensing. Here's what scripture says that we need to keep in mind. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 12 The sons of the kingdom who are not faithful will be cast into outer darkness. Then he goes on to say, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That same thought is in Matthew 13. There is a darkness. There is weeping. There is gnashing of of teeth. There is some sensuousness involved in it. I sense it. I'll feel it, I'll know it. And that idea is certainly true in Scripture, that there is something there. And when you talk about this darkness, you talk about this pain, this weeping, the only question is, is it a punishment that ends, or a punishing? that continues the idea in some ways turns on my own desires probably now we can be we can be just as true as we can be saying i want to follow what scripture Teaches. And we all want to follow what Scripture teaches, so I'm going to quote Scripture and I'm going to say, there it is. But if you've noticed, we quote Scripture, all of us do, and come out with differing ideas of what the Scripture means. And therefore, some people are confused. I think we have to consider the idea of this destroying. Matthew 10, Jesus said, Do not fear him who can destroy the body, but fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. And so we look at that word destroy, and we go, hmm, okay, uh, he is going to destroy. And when I think of destroy, I think of it was there. Now it's not. But That's not always true in Scripture, not even true with us. <clears throat> Roy Calmes this morning had a picture he showed me. He went visiting where he grew up. And he showed me a picture of the little one-room schoolhouse that he was schooled in. And somebody, for some reason, had burned it down. And there it was. Was it destroyed? I saw it. I, I saw the pieces that were still there. But could you say it was destroyed? I could Scripture uses it that way too. Ninety-two times the word there in Matthew 10, verse 28, destroy. It's used in Scripture. Ninety-two times. Consider three of these. <clears throat> Pilate, when Jesus was on trial, and the people wanted him to be crucified, and he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll release to you Barabbas, or release to you uh, Jesus or Barabbas, you take your pick. And they said, release Barabbas, the proven tried criminal. What do you want me to do with Jesus? Put him up to be crucified and destroy him? Does crucifying somebody destroy the person? Well, they knew they were going to take him off of the cross and bury him. They did every other body that way. Was he destroyed? Or how about Hebrews 1, verses 10 and 11, where the Hebrew writer talks about the earth and everything there? They will grow old. But you, they will grow old and perish. That's the word, destroyed. But you are forever, O Lord. The earth and all of its works will be destroyed, right? Sure. But then in Second Peter 3, verses 5 and 6, and talking about those who say, where is his coming he, everything has continued just as it is since the beginning of time peter said oh but you forget you forget about that world that then was it was in it was destroyed by the flood was it destroyed was the earth destroyed well we're still here So in some sense, if Hebrews says the earth and all of its works are going to fade away like an old coat and be destroyed, we all believe and understand physically it's going to be gone. Jesus was destroyed. His life was ended, terminated, stopped. His purpose was fulfilled. But he still existed. And the world Radically changed by the flood of Noah. <clears throat> but it is still here, though it was destroyed. Now, this is a big old book. You notice this? This is massive. Massive. It's been, the same theme was written again in recent years by F. Lagard Smith. The same concept. Here's my problem with all the discussion. My problem with the discussion is this. <clears throat> the Bible is very clear that punishment is separation from God. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9. Jesus tasted a death that we don't have to taste. And Revelation 21.8 calls it the second death. There is Death is a separation. James de- defined it in James 2 and 26, that when the spirit leaves the body, when it's separated, that's what death is. Death is a separation. Eternal death is a separation. There is zero doubt about that. And I will tell you something else. You don't come back from it. When you are separated from God in the end, you're not coming back from it. But here's the question, do you continue to sense it? To me, the question is, yeah, the fire, the darkness, the gnashing of teeth, all those things make pictures in our heads that we can identify, but what about separation from God? Think of the worst place you've ever been. And I'm not talking about cleanliness. I'm talking about the worst place you've ever been that you got caught in. Because you didn't intend to be in it. Or in your former life before you came to the Lord, you were there intentionally. But everything there was nasty spiritually. It's the worst spiritual environment you've ever been in. You think about where that was. And then ask yourself this question Was God there? We have no way to know what is the experience of being separated from God. We don't know. It is so bad that Jesus, prior to his death, was crying out to his father not to allow it to happen. That's how bad it was. He tasted it. He felt it. And I don't have to. So the question is not all those other things, but rather when you're punished, are you eternally separated from God? Absolutely. Does annihilation fit? What it seems to say about being separated from God. In fact, let me ask this. <clears throat> from my vantage point, does it seem that annihilation from the separation would actually be appreciated? Does it seem that? To be annihilated would be something you would pray for during that punishment? Now, I don't have the answer, people. I don't. And I don't think I have to have the answer because here is the only thing I need to know. I don't want to be separated from God. Even if the annihilation idea in our minds, how we use annihilation, even if it is true... It's still being separated from God. And in some way, there is some punishment connected to that. That I can't get around by thinking that it's over. And I don't feel or sense anything. Maybe it is. And if so, it's still separated from God. Final question I want to raise again, that I don't have a complete answer for, but you think about it. Where did the soul or the spirit come from? Where'd you get it? Well, Genesis 1 says we're made in the image of God, right? And God breathed into the nostrils of Adam and he became a living soul. Yes, animals have life, but doesn't say that God breathed into their nostrils. Is it the truth? Is it the case? That the spirit we have with us, referenced even in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11, he's put eternity in their hearts. Is it the case? That the eternal nature that we have came from God and is a part of God. Now, I know he made spirits, he made angels, and he created them from nothing, Hebrews 1, and they continue to live. It does seem that angels, spirits, maybe now demons having been kicked out of heaven, including Satan, had a beginning, but they will not have an end. They were given immortality, it seems. But is it possible that the spirit we carry is actually from God's eternal spirit, a piece of himself in our terminology? And if it is a piece of himself, would it not have eternality going both ways? No beginning, no end. And that part of himself will never be destroyed. Is that possible? I say it is. I don't think I have to agree or disagree with this book. But I think I have to agree with Scripture. But that punishment will be a separation from God. I don't want it. And it's described in such horrid details so that we will be motivated not to be separated from God. And the things that we do here, what we participate in, where we go, how we live, how we treat others will have a direct impact on whether we are separated from God or not. I leave those things for your perusal and thought. One thing I do know, anyone who's immersed into Jesus Christ is a saved individual. At that moment, separation from God's not even an issue because you're cleansed. At the moment that a child of God <clears throat> realizes sin in his or her life and is penitent and forgiven of that sin, at that moment, separation from God's not an issue. Because you've been cleansed and purified we offer that to you right now tonight while we stand and sing together we hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the richmond church of christ we are located at 1500 lancaster road in richmond kentucky we meet on sunday mornings for bible class at 9 a.m followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m our sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.